Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey, 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 welcome, welcome, welcome. Wow, it's still kind of warm outside here. It hasn't really cooled down a lot. I think we were in the upper or the upper 60s today, somewhere around there. My name is Charlotte. Welcome to California Haunts Radio, and I'm going to be your host for the next hour or so. I think we've got a pretty interesting show for you tonight. It's kind of a different pace thing tonight. Um, I heard this gentleman on the radio show, and I just thought it was kind of cool to talk about Las Vegas casinos, or any casino for that, re- you know, for that reason. Um lot goes on at casinos that we don't realize behind the scenes and it's kind of interesting to hear um i just recently watched rain man and uh the scene where tom cruise takes dustin hoffman into count cards and then they finally get caught um because the casino was watching them on camera and stuff this stuff goes on all the time in these casinos so it's because that's why i wanted to have this gentleman on so we could talk about that stuff plus you know he worked uh twice at the dunes under uh the dunes in vegas under two different owners, and um, one of the owners, or maybe even both, had some mob affiliations. So we're going to talk to him about that, too. His name is Gino Minari tonight. And uh, my, again, my name is Charlotte, and I am the owner and operator of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento. We're 35 strong. Um, we have different little um, sex, 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 you know, like seven groups of our team located up and down the state of California. And then we have people in Oregon, Washington, Nevada and Hawaii as well. And uh, if you need any paranormal help, get, get, look us up at www.californiahaunts.com. And you, I'm sorry, californiahaunts.org. See, this work is confusing. And uh, we, we don't charge for this stuff. We only work by donation because we can't charge for something we can't prove, right? You know? Anyway, again, uh, you can check out the, all the shows that we've done in the past two years at www.CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. See how confusing? And uh, like tonight's show is also airing live on, on the, you know, if you have trouble getting into YouTube or you have trouble getting into uh, Facebook or whatever, you can go to www.CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com and the show is airing there as well as, as I'm on the air. So anyway, uh, without further ado, I'm going to give Gino a call because it's going to be a phone call interview, and um, he knows it. He knows I'm calling. Hopefully, <laughs> nothing can go wrong, right? Let me do this. Here we go. Hello. Hi, Gino. Speaking. Hi, this is Charlotte with California Haunts Radio. Hi, Charlotte. How are you? Good. How are you, sir? How's the How's the sound check? It sounds good. So, Gino, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, Charlotte, I moved here in 1964. I had a cousin who was one of the original partners of the Sahara Hotel. And uh, he made me start as a busboy. And I worked in the Sahara coffee shop as a busboy uh, until I was 21 years old. <clears throat> then I got into the gambling business, and uh, it, that that was the start of the story. And um, how, how did you manage to get in the? I mean, was it really easy to get in the gambling business, or did you have to do certain things? Well, no, it wasn't easy because in those days, 
you know, they didn't have, they might've had one gaming school, but to learn to get a job, you had to learn from someone that was a dealer who knew the business, who'd have a friend or an associate or a family member. And they would teach you, you know, the way of the, of the world when it comes to dealing, you know, many casinos, uh, for instance, the Stardust, when they opened, I mean, I don't think they had a legitimate guy in there. Every one of those guys was referred to by mob guys. And there wasn't, you know, there wasn't like college kids that went to work there. It was like, uh, they put friends to work. They put, you know, uh, people who knew people, you were recommended to do the job. I, you know, in my case, I had a little lucky breaking in and that's the period where you learn the games. And I went to work for my cousin downtown in the California club, not the California hotel, but the California club. Mm-hmm. They also owned the, uh, the Pioneer Club and a place called the Elwell Hotel, where they had ten cent craps. Mm-hmm. Chips were chips were ten cents. They were black <laughs> chips, and uh, you know a guy would buy in five dollars and have chips all over the table, and they would shoot the dice and try to knock the chips off their bets to confuse the dealers. So it was a lot of fun. I'll tell you that. So I broke in downtown and uh, did my time. I learned slots and twenty one craps. And roulette and then uh i decided it was time to go out to uh and get a job where i could make some real money you know downtown the tips were like nine and twelve dollars a day mm-hmm. that was about it and so uh, strip of course they were really they were really good so i decided to go out to the flamingo and and to do an audition they call that an audition when you go out and you know go in a game and you deal for the boss and if he thinks you're capable, he'll hire you or whatever. So I went out to Flamingo and I got on the table and I, and I, I thought I, I was in good shape. I was, I practiced a lot and, you know, I did everything I could possibly do to, to be professional. Mm-hmm. So I got off the game and he says, well, you're not ready yet. And anyway, you know, I, I'm sure he had hundreds of people he had to take care of and other people were better than me. So I walked out the door and I looked outside the Flamingo across the street was the dune sign the dunes hotel Mm -hmm. i said i want to go over there and see what they can do and i walked up to one of the casino directors uh i said i'd like to do an audition he said get on the table and they i i got off the game and they hired me and that was that so that was the start of it all and what did you do with um as far as dealing was it blackjack or, or, or what was your game well i i dealt several games but I, I dealt blackjack uh, at the dunes, and uh, in the meantime, at home, we a friend of mine, myself, built a uh, a baccarat table because we knew the big money was in baccarat. Uh, that was the game like Chemin de Fer, mm-hmm. and Chemin de Fer was a game where um, one person took shoe, and he was considered the banker, and he would take all bets against him on the player's side. There's two sides to bet, the banker and the player. And when Baccarat came around, they changed it a little bit where the house accepted wagers on both sides and you didn't have to have anybody to, to equal your bet to bet against them. In other words, you can bet on the bank side, like red, for instance, or the black side, which would be the player side, for instance, and uh, you could bet anything you wanted up to the house limit. Well, you know, uh, I practiced a little bit in Baccarat at home and, I, th- I thought it was time maybe to ask if I could go over to the real game and maybe get some time to practice on the game. So, you know, we waited for the bosses to get into a good mood. 
you know, if they were in a good mood, you could approach them. You know, uh, if they, they had scowls on their faces, <laughs> we wouldn't go near them. So one night I was watching uh, the casino director, casino manager, George Duckworth, who I kind of knew a little bit, but not really well. And I figured he was in a good mood. I'm going to go over there and ask him, what can he do? Say no. He couldn't fire me, but he could say no. So I walked up to him and I said, Mr. Duckworth, you know, I've been practicing Baccarat at home. And uh, I was wondering, I'll go over, I'd love to go over on the real game and work for free just to learn a little bit about the game. He said, he turned to me and he said, get yourself two tuxedos, you start tomorrow night. And he walked away from me. And I had no idea how to deal the game. I mean, I I went, wait, 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 and he just walked away from me. So I got two tuxedos and the following night I I started in Baccarat. And uh, one of the guys took me under his wing, he very nice to me and taught me the finer points and I learned the game and I was one of the youngest dealers that ever dealt Baccarat. In those days we dealt in actual cash. We didn't use chips. So it was a sight to seek, Charlotte. You couldn't believe the action. That's incredible. And then the Dunes you see was was really a classic hotel. It wasn't your normal uh, I want to put this in comparison. Mm -hmm. It wasn't your normal Las Vegas hotel that was just operated by a bunch of square guys. I mean, guys that were like, you know, they had no real mob connections and they, they were guys that understood gambling, but they, they were kind of like the, the, the Cootie Two Shoes operators. Mm-hmm. The Dunes had everybody. They had a poker room that played every kind of a game you could possibly play. You had action with a million dollars in a poker pot. I mean, this was continuously and continuously. So now when I went there, of course, it was in 1968, but the Dunes had a, a history before that. It started and opened in 1955, and uh, it was operated by uh, about eight different management companies. And uh, it, it was uh, unbelievable. But when it opened, you know, it was a guy from New Jer- uh, back east. He was in upper state New York and Miami. His name was Al Gottsman, G-O-T-T-E-S-M-A-N. And Al, you know, was an operator. He had these grand, grand, grand ideas of how it should be run. He loved lavish shows. He he was basically a, a theatrical producer, you know. And he he planned the biggest show. And he he hired Vera Allen, a very famous movie star of the time. Costumes, scenes, and sets, you know, pr- pr- pretty pretty lavish. Mm-hmm. But of course, the dudes didn't have enough business to to make it work. So, uh, you know, then he tried different acts. Uh, at one time, he even had uh, Mar- uh, Wally, Wally Cox, Mr. Peepers. Uh, some of you may remember him or not. But he was a guy on TV, was tremendously popular comedian. And, uh, you know, but he basically bombed. But what, but what's really funny here is every single night in the audience, while Peepers was at the dunes, I think it was a couple of weeks, Marlon Brando was in the audience. He laughed at every every joke. You know Marlon Brando, he's the guy who was right. the Godfather. Yes, so many other ones. <laughs> laughed at every joke. I mean, he was just unbelievable. And it, he, turns out he was Wally Peeper's childhood friend. They grew up, grew up together. So then, you know, uh, Peepers didn't work and Gotsman hired uh, uh, the Minsky show and, and it started to work a little bit. But before the Minsky show came in, I got I to get back a little bit. Sure. Uh, they decided to 
to lease the place to the Sands Hotel. So the Sands advertised a big, big publicity thing where it says the Sands marries the Dunes. And Frank Sinatra actually came out and did the grand opening for them. And, but it just didn't work. Mm -hmm. And after a few months, they decided, you know, it's not worth our effort. And, uh, uh, the landowners that the landlords, the operators were two different people. And then came in a guy by the name of major riddle and, uh, other partners and it took off and, uh, you know, it did pretty well, but uh, a couple things happened. Uh, uh, I found an FBI memo uh, that indicated that Riddle had a few problems, and they think he was stealing money to the tune of about forty thousand a month. Wow! And, and uh, now this is alleged. This is an FBI memo. It doesn't mean it's hundred percent right. fact. Right, right, right. But, but this is all documented in the book. I've got over three hundred footnotes. That's a lot and, of cash uh, for that time. Yeah, and so, so you know, yeah, 400000 in those days, the value of money, that would have been worth at least a couple hundred thousand a month, you know, or, or, or near there. And so anyway, he, 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 he partnered up with a couple of guys. One guy was Bill Miller, who owned the uh, Bill Miller's Riviera across the bridge from New York City, from downtown Manhattan. And it was a, a nightclub and, and entertainment. And at one time it had gambling. And uh, Bill Miller could get, could fill the place. He knew how to do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, he worked for a short time for him. By the way, Bill Miller's daughter is the famous writer uh, and, and corresponded on CBS, Judith Miller. And uh, uh, he was also the guy that brought the Beatles to Las Vegas and uh, Elvis Presley, believe it or not. Huh. So, yeah, he was a great guy. And then anyway, they, they, they fell out and Bill went back to a place called the Royal Nevada, and then the Dunes made a major turning point at that point. Uh, a guy, guys by the name of Charles Rich from St. Louis, along with uh, Sid Wyman, mm -hmm. Charles Rich's stepson, George Duckworth, and others bought into the Dunes. And uh, from that day, it never turned around. This is like in the early 60s. Mm -hmm. And then it became a really first-class operation. Riddle was involved, but Riddle had no say. Wyman was the biggest investor and really ran the place. And, uh, you know, it, 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 when, it, when it made its big, big turn, Charlotte, is when they decided to bring junkets in from New York. Uh, most of the owners were against the idea, didn't understand it, but a junket is basically you charter an airplane full of people mm -hmm. from downtown New York, business people, you know, gamblers, bookies, whatever. And you come out to play in Las Vegas. If you gamble, we give you everything free. You get a free comp room, comp food, comp shows. And that's what turned the dunes around. Every two weeks, the New York Junket would show up, and these guys were treated like, uh, like royalty. So they had anything they wanted. Booze, room, food. It was wonderful. And, and I want to tell you something. It was really an, an operation. Uh, the dunes became a little city within a city. It had a jewelry store, a fur shop, a candy store, a men's shop, a toy shop. You know, it was really something. And um, at the top of the strip, a beautiful restaurant overlooking the strip. And uh, had the dome of the sea where uh, a girl on a like a little floating rock would, would go around the little lake that they had built into the restaurant <laughs> cool. and play the harp. And That's then they cool. had the, uh, the Sultan's table. 
Arturo Romero and his violins would play and, and you know, and, and just absolutely give the customers entertainment that they couldn't get anywhere else. Beautiful music, violins, and the best food in the world. So that's how it started. Junkets were brought in uh, from different cities all over the country. And that's basically what it was about, Charlotte. It was just about entertaining guests and giving them the best they possibly could, could, could get. And then to tip it off, or to, to top it off, I should say, they had a championship golf course, 18 holes. And it was absolutely beautiful, right in the back of the hotel. Hmm. So the place was a top-notch hotel. You know, those hotels are gorgeous. I mean, you could just spend the day, you know, like like now, like when you go to Vegas, I don't gamble. I just spend the day going up and down the strip, checking out all the casinos because they're just so beautiful. Well, now they're, they're even more than ever. Right. But the, but the Dunes was a classic hotel. And I, I, I think, and I will say this with certainty, I wrote the first book about a single hotel that was ever written. Mm-hmm. And it was finished before uh, one that was published before I, I did about the Sands, but it was published by the University of Nevada Press. Mine was actually published by a legitimate publisher. You know, I mean, a, <laughs> a retail publisher. Right. And uh, so, you know, I think I did something that was entirely different that was never done before. And if I hadn't have not written this book about all these stories, connections, so-called mob influences mm-hmm. and so on. I don't think the story would have ever gotten told correctly because there's no place or no one around that knows all the stories. Right. And, and I te- kept notes my whole life. And uh, I mean, and, and part of the reason is because the gaming control board that runs the state of Nevada, the gaming commission and the control board, they, they're, they're mandated by a state law that prohibits them from giving out information on any licenses, casinos, applicants, and people they dealt with at the gaming control board. So, so let's suppose you were writing a historical novel. You wanted to know about one of the historical guys like Benny Binion, mm-hmm. and you couldn't and you couldn't find a picture about him anywhere. They wouldn't give you one. And so, so, so it, it's like it's like a really strange thing. And, uh, I mean, there's a name I threw out that people would, would recognize, but there's other great operators who you can't find a picture of anywhere. You can do a newspaper.com search. You can do a, a, a Google search. You just can't find them. Mm-hmm. They don't exist. But the Gaming Control Board has files and files and files, but they refuse to talk about it. And by introduction of my book, I, I kind of dealt in that pretty Heavily. Now, I'm not knocking all the people to gain the control board. Sure. But I'm not I'm knocking the concept that they're withholding withholding information that's fifty, sixty years old. Mm-hmm. You know, that there's you know, I understand you can't reveal personal information, bank account numbers, but you certainly can tell the stories. That's part of history. And it doesn't hurt Las Vegas. It actually it makes it even better. If you look at the mob museum, people love that. They love coming here and going through the mob museum. Who was uh Started with a concept by Oscar Goodman, who was a, 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 the mayor in town, also the lawyer to a, a major mob guy by the name of Tony Spilatro. But uh, it was just an amazing place that this was. It was just amazing. I, I wish it was still there, to tell you the truth, Charlie. How much of a mob influence was at the Dunes? 
Well, you know, no one knows every single detail. Mm-hmm. But the, the dudes didn't kill the mobsters out. In fact, one of the key mobsters who was in the Nevada Black Book was uh, Savella. The last name was Savella. Anthony Savella. And he was, uh, he was, uh, excuse me, I said Anthony. I meant to say Nick. Mm-hmm. And he was, uh, he was a person that was at the hotel in the 70s with comp room, comp food, comped everything with a note on his registration card at the hotel desk, give the man anything he wants. And uh, he was asked to leave, and it cost the dunes a lot of problems. So one of the problems was they got a $50,000 fine for having this guy from Kansas City who was later indicted and, and convicted of skimming at the Stardust and the Tropicana later on. But he was involved in with owners of the dunes. There's no question about it. Uh, you know, I mean, the game, so the gaming control board fined him 50 grand and a stipulation that one of the senior owners of the dunes, Sid Wyman, had to come before them to apply for a gaming license, mm. you know, again. Right. And, uh, that was a serious issue because now they're going to reinvestigate him and so forth. So the lawyers they had were a company called Jones and Jones. And these guys, Herb Jones and Cliff Jones, Cliff Jones was a former lieutenant governor of the state of Nevada. And he also was one of the original lawyers for the original Dunes conception when Gottsman started it. They got the fine reduced to 10000 against the Dunes Hotel, which is unheard of. And they also got the stipulation that Wyman didn't have to come forward for licensing. You talk about juice. Mm-hmm. That is an unheard of. And so... That's what I'm saying. You know, I think uh, some of the guys knew that there was mobsters around mm-hmm. and looked the other way. And some of them, which, and they didn't care. And other ones had a different point of view, and they brought heat on. Uh, fortunately, ex-Governor Sawyer liked the Dunes. They liked those guys. And I'm sure the Dunes contributed heavily to his campaign fund. And, and there's no question about that, that uh, he was privileged to many of their inside stories. The book explains a lot of these these details. So, you know, um, <clears throat> as the Corporate Gaming Act was implemented, you know, it, it took the heat off the Gaming Control Board because the FBI knew about all these gangsters coming to the dunes and everywhere else, mm-hmm. and the Gaming Control Board didn't do anything about it. So, you know, the Gaming Control Board's position in some cases was good and some not so good. You know, they knew that they needed business, and the dunes is pl- paying plenty of taxes and employing a lot of people. Now, so it was laissez-faire, let them alone. Sure. But uh, things happened, uh, informants, uh, bad informants, informants within the organization, and so forth, you know, start changing things, and it affected the dunes. One of the FBI guys who was Yablonski, uh, uh, Joseph Lebowski, senior FBI guy, you know, he was out to bust everybody. And, uh, as you know, J. Edgar Hoover, uh, wanted the dunes sold to somebody else. They wanted the dunes owners mm-hmm. out of the picture. And, uh, a guy like Howard Hughes, they wanted to buy the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, Glowski was no angel though. An FBI guy who actually propositioned, uh, a 
prominent Las Vegas writer, a gaming writer, named Phil Hamilton. He said, why don't you help me get this guy? And Phil turned him down. He's flat turned him down. And Yablonsky, the real funny part of the story, it's kind of like the, uh, the irony of the story. After he tries to get all these guys and they get busted and so forth, one of the most interesting things that happened was somehow Yablonsky's personal bank account that he had, whatever bank it was, mm-hmm. they made a mistake and they deposited like an extra of 200000 as an account by mistake. And Yablonsky never reported it for like three years, something like that. Huh. And I don't have the exact time. I, I such a small detail, but right. but eventually, I guess he he did pay it back. But he was never censored for it. And it goes to show you, you know, uh, it's hard calling the kettle black when you're black yourself, right? Right. So uh, so anyway, so that was the story. It was it, it was an ongoing story of of of. Characters, bookmakers, uh, gamblers, celebrities. Cary Grant was a regular there. Hmm. He was one of the owner's best friends from St. Louis. And uh, and the, the Cupy Rich, that was his nickname, Cupy. But she never called him Cupy to your name. It was face runner. Hmm. Uh, he was a great guy. Respectable guy. Small guy. Little guy. Stature. Maybe uh, five, six at the most, you know? But a tremendously intelligent guy and uh, a good bookmaker. Baseball was a specialty. Knew the game inside and out. And he liked boxing. And so somehow in St. Louis, Cupy uh, and uh, Charles Rich and mm-hmm. Sid Wyman who were partners. They were like, but Jeff Sid was about 300 pounds and Cupy was about 120 pounds, you know, small guy. Right. They, they loved boxing matches. And they, somehow they met Gary Grant in St. Louis, you know. And uh, I guess he must have come down to his gym or whatever. And they, they took him to boxing matches and sporting events. And, and you know, those guys loved it. Here's Cary Grant with him, you know. And uh, it attracted a lot of attention. And 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 Cupy and, and, and Cary liked these guys because they were regular guys. Right. They weren't, they weren't the Hollywood crew. You know, they, they, they knew gambling and they, they advised them. And they got along great. But there's, there's a story out there. Uh, and there's an alleged pitcher. I wish I would pay anything for this pitcher. <laughs> but they went to a boxing boxing match, and uh, the fight was just over. And and and, the, and the, somebody snaps a pitcher, and the pitcher shows Cary Grant, Sid Wyman, and Charlie Rich. And in the background, you see the referee holding the the winning boxer's hand up in the air. And Charlie Rich is sitting in his chair slumped over with a cigar. Sid Wyman's depressed. He's sitting on, sitting on his chair. And Cary Grant's the only one that's up in the air with his hand raised high. Hooray. And the reason it was that way, Cary Grant didn't realize they were betting the other guy. Nice. <laughs> in other words, yeah, yeah, it's a hilarious story. And, uh, and somewhere there's a picture of that. I wish I knew where it was. I'd give anything for that picture. That's funny. So tell me about, you know, as a car dealer, have, have, I don't want all the secrets out because obviously, you know, they're, 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 they're still doing this stuff in Vegas, but um, how, how were you trained to handle the customers and stuff during the game? And I, I know, you know, people were coming to try to cheat as well, right? Well, you know, you, to be a good dealer in one of those places, you were hired if you knew how to protect the game. Okay. What I mean, what I mean by that is, 
that you know how to protect the game against cheaters, both inside and outside. And what I mean by inside and outside, outside would be the customers. And of course, if you were on a crew with other dealers, you might have some inside cheating, some, some collusion between a dealer and a player, uh, and so forth and so on. You had to know these things. You didn't learn these in nursery school. Mm-hmm. Okay. You learn these hardcore by working with guys who knew this stuff. And if a guy liked you, if an old timer liked you, you know, he, he would, he would confide in you and teach you something. And I was fortunate enough that uh, the guy that took me under his wing from New York, Vinny Tagliatella, you know, uh, when I was thrown in the game, he was very nice to me. He knew I was in an awkward position, but yet he wanted to please Duckworth. And uh, he made sure I learned the game. But one day, I, 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 was, I was dealing on the stick in Baccarat. That means where you call the game. That's the guy that says... Any more bets? All bets down. Mm-hmm. Banker players, cards please. And you conduct the game. And you call the hands. You call the totals. And it's the easiest part of the whole game, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard, but it's, it's still the easiest part. And uh, so I, I did it very well. And I, as I got off the game, you work 20 minutes on each station. So you work 20 minutes there calling the game. Then you walk around to the other side and relieve one dealer. Mm-hmm. And you deal 40 minutes on that side. Mm-hmm where you deal to actually deal the cash and we dealt cash. Well, Vince Tagliolatella was a guy that dealt cash in, in Harlem. He dealt paper or, or currency crap games and he knew how to do it. He taught me all the tricks. When I say tricks, I mean the shortcuts and, and the tips to make it work. So I'm walking around on the table to go to my base station to deal the money. Mm-hmm. He says, come here a second. He says, uh, you know, I got a little trouble with my eye. I, I had an operation on my eye today. And can you tell me what that memo says? And the memo was in pretty large print. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, but I, I sensed immediately, I don't think he knows some of the words. I don't think he had the greatest, you know, education, but he was not, he was smart as a whip. I mean, IQ wise, he couldn't beat the guy. He knew exactly what everything was. But as far as, you know, maybe the rudimentary uh, writing and reading wasn't as is a uh, forte. So whatever the word was, I think I said, oh, this means this. He says, thank you. And I didn't do it very loud. I didn't mm-hmm. embarrass him. He never forgot that. And he took me under his wing and he protected me. I mean, he taught me as much as I possibly could know. And, you know, and I got to know him very well. Uh, his wife was a shill, a game starter that worked at the table. We had four of those on the game when there was no business. Mm-hmm. To make the game look like it was busy. Nothing wrong with that. That's totally legitimate. Mm-hmm. And by the way, we never cheated anybody okay. ever in any game at the Tunes. It had a reputation for a square deal. That's number one. Or you're going to get a, a cheating situation. It's a place that has no business. Mm-hmm. You know, like back east, there's no regulator, regulators and so forth. But we, we dealt a square game. So, you know, he, he taught me everything. And so one day, you know, we, I'd go to his house to eat. He, his, him and his wife would like second parents to me uh and uh have italian food we we you know we go to sporting events it was really unbelievable so one day he says to me i don't know how this topic came up but he says you know and he points to himself and he says you know gino he says you know i can never be fired from this job 
I have no idea what he means. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't. What do you mean you can't? You know, I'm thinking to myself. I'm not. Didn't say that to him. What do you mean you can't be fired? But I, you know, I'm thinking. What, 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 you know, what's he talking about? And I, I kind of said to him, I, I said, "What do you mean, Vince?" He says, "They can't fire me here. My guy would pay fifty thousand dollars to walk through the lobby of this hotel." Hmm. That told me a lot right there, without asking too many more questions. Wow. And and uh, and I was with him on a few occasions where they were embarrassing. Uh, some things happened that I regret. I was there, but you know, he was also a Shylock, mm-hmm. where he loaned money out. Um, some guys. The average guy got five percent a week. In other words, you bought, if you borrowed a hundred, you paid, you paid five percent of the money you borrowed every single week. He still owed the hundred dollars. Oh. You know, so he loaned money to guys that were like uh, bartenders, you know, uh, waiters, dealers who go broke and they go to him for money, and he was pretty good at it. So one guy owed him some some serious money, uh, and he worked at Tropicana. So we got off of work, and he says, come on, we've got to go down to the Tropicana. Maybe we'll eat there. I said, okay. So I put a jacket on, and I go with him, and he says, we go to the crap game. And he says, stand right there. So I'm watching the crap game right next to it, and he calls over the spit boss. And uh, he said, I want that money you owe me. And, you know, I'm listening, and I'm hearing his voice. I go, uh-oh, <laughs> this is a new one. And all of a sudden, he says, I want that money. He says, "You look." He says, "If you don't pay me the money, I want you to look at my hand." And he he drops his hand down, and a piece of rebar comes out of his sleeve to his Whoa. to his hand. And I saw this, and I went, "Oh my God, what do I got myself into now?" You know, and I'm not I'm not pro violence or nothing like that. Mm-hmm. But the guy went and got the money, and that was the end of that. Never saw that happen again. But he, he, you know, that, that's the way it was. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, he treated me great. I. He was a bookmaker as well. Now, a bookmaker means a guy that takes bets right. on, on sports. So across the street from the dunes, you know, in those days, we didn't have a book, a bookie, a bookshop in the dunes. They didn't want it. They had their own stuff going on upstairs. The dunes actually got indicted, or six guys got indicted for running a bookmaking operation in the dunes, and uh, three or four of them were owners. So it was an exciting place. But, but anyway, so Vince Tag who's a bookmaker. Now, can you imagine this? The guy's a floor man, shift boss at the Dunes Pocket Rock, and they let him be a bookmaker. They let him be a Shylock, and nobody cares. That's the way it was. So, you know, I never even saw any harm in it. I mean, it was I was only like 22. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I thought it was the way it is, you know? So uh, I, I'm not uh, claiming that as being ignorant, but it was, it was exciting to me. Exciting to me see the real world work. Right. Uh, and then these guys... They never went out and beat anybody up. It was all, you know, kind of like the bark is bigger than the bite. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, otherwise, those guys wouldn't have any money next week if they needed it. Right. But it was fascinating. And he introduced me to so many great poker players. Uh, they made a movie about uh, a guy by the name of uh, Stewie Younger, who was a championship World Series poker winner. And he, I met, he came to the Dunes on a junket from New York. When he was like 17, 16 years old, okay? mm-hmm. his parents had a card room, a uh, gambling room in one of the buildings in New York, which they called the Schloss House, S-L-O-S-H. And um, they, they, they ran card games. They played uh, gin rummy, uh, 
Klaviash, Two-Handed Bridge, Honeymoon Bridge, all kinds of card games, poker, you name it, you know. Call, uh, call Rummy is a wonderful game of, of you, you know, uh, gin rummy. We only play with like seven cards. Mm-hmm. You go down, you go down with 10, 20, 30, 40. So it's incredible. But anyway, so he was an expert. He was raised like his mother raised them in this room. So he, he was, he had card sets. So he came down to the dunes and Sid Wyman, who was a big gambler, owner and gambler, loved poker, loved gambling. He wanted to play him. Heads up. That's one-on-one. So they they start this game. It was right next to, the poker room was next to our Baccarat room. And so I, I got to watch this. On Wyman's side, you have all these guys behind him. You know, every single poker player that hung around the dudes. And I'm sure some of them were, were some good crossroaders, okay? And uh, they might have been helping the kid. Who knows? And the kid, he got one guy behind him, or next to him. The kid beat Wyman out of seventy-five thousand cash. Whoa. I watched. I watched it. What's that? Wow. Yeah, Damn. I watched it, and, uh, and then you know that was over with, and you know Sid took his loss, and the kid takes the seventy-five thousand. He goes over to the crap table when he loses it in about twenty minutes. Ooh. So you know that that was the Dunes Hotel. It was like there was no place like it. By the way, there's a movie about Stu Unger. I don't know the name of the movie, but if you, if you Google Stu Unger. Mm-hmm. Certainly, we'll find this. Hey, oh, by the way, Charlotte, am I allowed to give my website out? Absolutely, I'm going to do it at the end of the show too. Yeah, I just want to let them know. I want them to spell my name right. I always have <laughs> trouble when people spell my name wrong. Cool. Uh, but uh, if you want to get on my mailing list and know about the Dunes Hotel book, and I'm going to have a website up. It's going to have all the details that I couldn't put in the book because there were so many other ones. And uh, we have a lot of people are coming forward and talking about things that happened and. I wish I had a chance to interview them. We're going to put those on the, this website. So, uh, but my website is real simple. It's www. And my name is spelled with G-E-N-O. It's Gino, G-E-N-O, one word, with Minari, M-U-N-A-R-I.com. That's GinoMinari.com, and there's a place you can subscribe to my mail list. Get on it. I'll never sell your name to anybody. That won't bug you. I'll try to sell you stuff. It just I want you all to know about the Dunes Hotel. That's my main purpose. In fact, that was one of my main uh, goals in life to, to write this book. It took me uh, close to four years, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and and there's over 300 footnotes, and uh, it's coming out soon. Tryingday.com, T-R-I-N-E-D-A-Y.com uh, has it for sale. Sure, you can buy it. It'll, it'll be available everywhere. Kindle. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, everywhere. So it'll be good. And I hope everyone likes it. You know, my goal was not to make money with it, really. It was more to tell the story that I know that would never been told. That's my main reason. Right. My question, I know you didn't get this. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, my, my, my question to you is, as, as a dealer now, um, you know, you, you see movies, you see, how close is the stuff you see in movies to what actually goes on at the casino? Well, you know, sometimes it's accurate, mm-hmm. and many times it's not accurate, and it's, that's what I don't like. Uh, but uh, by the way, I wrote some of the dialogue in the movie um, Rain Man. Okay. Uh, Sid uh, Pollock, the uh, producer, sent me through an agent, sent me like about twenty pages to go through and correct 
So the terminology was correct with the pit bosses and so forth. And I was honored to be able to do that. Sidney Pollack was a great guy. And Dustin Hoffman, um, and uh, what was the other guy? I can't think of his name. I'm so sorry. Anyway. Tom uh, Cruise. Yeah, Hoffman and uh, and uh, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah. They made they made a great movie. It's a good movie. And then I also uh, in the movie Indecent Proposal with Demi Moore and um, um, Robert Redford. They made this movie, and and in the room where Demi Moore was staying in the hotel, they have a TV playing while she's acting, mm-hmm. and on that TV is myself with my own produced gaming movie that I made years ago and how to play the games. And it's, it's in there and that was kind of neat. I didn't get credit for that, unfortunately, but, uh, I sure raised a lot of hell about that. But, uh, so some of the times it's, it's accurate, but most times it's not. And that like, for instance, Con Air, mm-hmm. uh, the great movie. I, ha- I happen to enjoy watching it, but the plane starts to crash, uh, like downtown and it winds up at the Sands hotel, which mm-hmm. is now the Venetian. It kind of crazy, you know, so they wanted to cover all bases. But, you know, you got to get the facts right to make it real. And when I see it right, I applaud. I stand up and applaud. But, uh, you know, if you don't have a dealer holding the deck correctly, you don't have the guy on the stick at the crap game talking correctly. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not real. But people who don't know don't know any better. So there's nothing to correct. And a lot of times these guys, these directors or unit managers will take shortcuts saying we don't have to explain that that's wrong that's the wrong way to make a movie so uh you know there's guys that make movies the correct way and they pay for advisors and they you know to do it right you should tell it right and and when i wrote my book i would write something that was just so so it had to be correct and i had to double check it especially when it was a matter of of grave areas of concerns Absolutely. Um, back to uh, dealing and stuff. Uh, as a dealer, could you tell when somebody was cheating with the cards, or, or, or like, 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 like they show in the movies? They have all those cameras where they're constantly watching the tables. Well, you know, you can only have one camera on one game at a time. Okay. Unless you have cameras on every game. Okay. But you know, after the Dunes, I, I opened my own casino. I also worked for. Uh, a couple of other big casinos, Flamingo, and I was a casino director at uh, the San Remo, which eventually turned into Hooters, and also a place called um, Bourbon Street, which is right across from the MGM. And I was in charge. And I, you know, all the stuff I learned at the Dunes and through all my friends, uh, you know, it came in handy. And, you know, you're looking for a, a tell. A tell is where the dealer's supposed to do one thing, but he does something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, he tells he tells on himself in a way. He gives a signal that something's going to happen. Like, for instance, a cheater might, before he makes his move or whatever he's going to do, switch cards, add to a bet, or take off from a bet, he might look to the left or the right. Mm-hmm. Or he might be watching the pit boss. And if I was a pit boss, then why is that guy watching me? Right? Right. Why, why is he looking at me? He shouldn't be looking at me. He has a beautiful dealer at the table. He happened to be a gorgeous 21 dealer, you know, you know, like, like a model look. And he's doing, you know, he's, she's dealing correctly. And he's looking at me, the manager. So those kind of things that, you know, they give themselves away. You see, in other words, you know what it is, Charlotte? 
you smell it. Mm-hmm. I don't know what your profession is or what your specialty is, <laughs> but what is it, if I, if I may ask you? I'm a journalist. Ask, journalist, photojournalist. Uh, okay, so photo, photojournalist. So when you look at a picture, you can tell if that's been doctored. Mm-hmm. You know if that's a legitimate picture or not. You know, you smell it. You just say, you know what? But a lot of times you give them a benefit of the doubt. So, so when you see something that's wrong, you might turn your, I'm going to say this word and please don't be offended by that. You may turn your rear to that, your ass to Sure, that, sure. And acting like you're not watching. And, but you can hear and you can tell by noise what actually happened. And I've done that a few times and caught people cheating. Uh, caught tremendous amounts of people cheating. You know, I, you know, when I was at Bourbon Street as the director of, of the hotel and casino, uh, I, 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 my, my department was the gaming mm-hmm. slots and the hotel. I wasn't the general manager, but that was my job. You know, uh, I, uh, I, I could tell when something was wrong. You just smelled it, you know. So one day, I'm looking at the percentages in the from our county department of what each game is holding. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. Uh, if you put, if you buy in at a 21 game, a hundred dollars mm-hmm. cash, it goes into a drop box, okay? And the game is conducted. At the end of the day, a properly run 21 game. Uh, two decks or four decks should keep or hold, you know, at least 17, 18%. Okay. If it's run correctly, if that hold goes down to like 8%, 10% on a consistent basis, not every day. Now, now one day it might be eight, one day it might be 25, so forth and so on. But on a consistent basis at the end of the month, end of the six months or the quarter, the hold is down. There's got to be a reason why. Canadian company owned this casino, and it was, uh, they had the Canadian Maple Leaf in a lantern on both sides and both ends of the deck diagonally. Mm-hmm. So either way you looked at it, it looked the same, except on one side, the Maple Leaf was closer to the lantern than the other side. So if you separated the cards and turned them 180 degrees, and they were faced down, you could tell you could, you could say they were a high card or a low card mm-hmm. so it helped you if you were hitting your hand in the game of blackjack taking an extra card so I, in fact I, I i caught this big error and i called the card manufacturer in and i showed him what it was and i said listen if you don't give me some new cards uh on your money uh, i'm going to turn this into the gaming control board uh and the press and uh tell them well look what i have here and that's why our percentage is down they couldn't wait to please me. They gave us free cards, and they took care of the matter, and they never made those kind of cards again. So there's, you have to investigate a little bit. you got to smell it. Right, you right, know? right. And you can't assume everybody's honest. Right, right, right. What did you like best about working at the casino? Um, the action, I guess. You know, you never know who you're going to meet. And I wasn't, like, starstruck. I didn't, I didn't mm-hmm. care about that. I meant more like, uh, what are you going to learn that day? What's something new you never knew uh, about bookmaking, about how to protect the game, uh, stories from the old days. I love those. Uh, at the Dunes, we had a guy by the name of High Goldbaum. Now, I know you didn't get an advanced copy of the book. Sure. There's, there, there were some questions I know you would ask me about, but 
Hi Goldbaum was a bookie that worked the Flamingo when the Flamingo opened for Bugsy Siegel. Mm-hmm. Then he eventually came to the Dunes Hotel. And Hi was an experienced bookmaker. On dinner at the Dunes when I was a Baccarat floor man, uh, I would have dinner with Hi sometimes in the coffee shop. We'd sit at the same table and he wore this cologne called uh, oh, uh, White Shoulders. Mm-hmm. Now, White Shoulders is a woman's perfume. Right? right. I was just thinking that. But it's been around for 80 years or more. But in the 30s and 40s, men wore it. It was an interesting odor, you know. And he used to wear that. And he'd always know he was there. Dressed impeccably. I mean, tailor-made suits and so forth. And a little guy. He was, and he had a hunchback, by the way. Sounds like a movie. <laughs> and I would tell me stories, you know, about being at the Flamingo. And he was a, he was a guy that was a commission layoff bookie. And what that means, uh, Charlotte, is there's guys that want to make a bet on the game. And the local bookie back in Burbank, California, can't, it's too much of an action for him. In other words, it's too high. The guy wants to bet $1,000. This guy can't take bets over 100 okay, to balance his books. The idea you want to balance your books, if you have 50% on one side, 50% on the other side, the bookie makes 5%, okay? Mm-hmm. Roughly. That's how it works. So high would take book from anybody. You can call on any horse, and he, you, you, but you'd pay for it. So if you wanted to bet... Uh, uh, they call it a hot horse supposed to win a race he wouldn't turn you down like the local bookie would he would take it but you'd have to pay uh, 3 to 5% when you made the bet okay mm-hmm. so so if you if you bet um, you bet football you lay a bookmaker 11 to 10 right mm-hmm. you, lay, you, lay, you lay $11 to win 10 if you win you get your 10 you get it all back if you lose, you lose $11, okay? So, high would do this, where you would, you would, you would pay 3% of, of the bet as well, additionally. So, uh, but, if you, but if, you, if, you, if you won, you didn't have to pay. But if you lost, you paid. And that was his way of making up for, you know, these layoff bets that everybody made. Because if you don't balance your books, you know, the bookie's in a precarious position where if one side uh, wins, he loses everything. But a bookmaker wants to set his, his lines up or his betting lines. So you got 50% of the betters on side A and 50% of the betters on side B. And that was the way it worked. So I, I, guess, I guess it was action and meeting people. I loved it, Charlotte. Yeah, because I guess, you know, every day was different for you. You know, like, it's, like you said, you know, it wasn't only the celebrities. It, it was just gen- people coming in from all over the, all over the world. Really, it, it was. You know, uh, we had an Argentinian guy on our crew. Uh, I'll never forget him, David Hahan. And David had tremendous gall. I mean, he was <laughs> something else. And he, this guy, this guy came into play, and he had, he had a, 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 a watch pop gold. And you know, in Argentina, they had this that with twenty four karat gold. It's more yellow than what you see here. Mm-hmm. And David realized he has to be from. South America. And so David cut into him in Spanish. And blah, 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 it was just unbelievable. And he, he really he recognized him. He was a very famous horse trainer and owner in, in Argentina. So David, you know, uh, was a good hustler. 
meaning he would hustle people, um, hustle them out of their, well, a, a bet for the dealers, in other words. Mm-hmm. You know, that was called a, a deluxe hustler. And there's a right and a wrong way to do that, though. But David had no fear. He would just cut right into the guy. So he cuts into the guy, and the, and the guy, you know, he wasn't so George. He was kind of like a, a little tough. So the guy's winning some money, and David finally says to him, hey, look, in Spanish, he says, look, you know, you're doing well. Why don't you give us give the crew a horse to bet the race today? Mm-hmm. You got a horse running. He tells him the name of a horse. And so David says, I'm going to go bet the horse on my break across the street at Churchill Downs. He says, you want a piece? I says, yeah, give me 20. And each dealer took 20 or 10 or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Horse won and paid $33 to two. So, you know, so, so uh, I got 3320 bucks, something like that. So it was uh, actually, no, I got uh, 33 for every two. So, uh, so 10, I got 230 bucks. It was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting to me because, you know, when you think about the casinos, they're, they're kind of like a little mini city, you know, of themselves because there's just so much going on. You, you've got the restaurants, you've got the gaming going on, and then you've got the hotel part. And it just amazes me that they can run. You know, they, they, I don't know how, how smoothly they run, you know, on a daily basis, but, I mean, it looks like it's a, they're, they're really smooth operating businesses. Can we take a little break here? Actually, Three, we're almost two, done. Two minutes, two minutes, two minutes. Okay, okay. okay. Hold on. Okay. Anyway, guys, it's good to be here. And uh, this is great talking about this stuff because I'm curious about casinos just like anybody else is. You know, when you, when you, um, I've been to Vegas set, you know, s- several times in my life. And each time I, I see different things. But like I said, I'm one of these people that like to cruise the casinos. You know, I, I don't, I, I don't gamble a lot. So I'm, uh, I'm running around looking at everything, and you know, even outside, you know, even now, like like he says, it's it's all been been changed. But there's entertainment outside as well. So I mean, you're walking up and down the strip, and you're watching the the pirate battles. You're you're watching the dancing waterfalls, and you're you're watching all that stuff. So it's kind of cool, you know. It's kind of cool to go to Vegas. And I know if you if you spend anything less than a week in Vegas, you're you're missing out because, I mean, like. There's just, there's just so much to do, you know, and, and then there's and there's non-gambling related stuff as well. I mean, there's non-casino related stuff, like he says, the Mob Museum, you know, Madame Tussauds Wax Museum's there. I mean, it's it's just incredible. It's an incredible place to visit. It's a little mini city, as they say. But um, I'm enjoying this interview mentally, you know. I, I'm I'm really glad he came on, and uh, and um, I'm learning a lot about the casinos and the way they work. And I apologize earlier for the. Whatever went wrong, because whatever happened happened when he was on, too. So, you know, so we're good. We're good. I'm back, Charlotte. Okay, Sorry cool. About that. Oh, yeah, no problem, no problem. See, whatever happened earlier, I noticed that my um, video quality wasn't as good, and then suddenly everything went, everything froze. <laughs> and then you were like, oh, the air raid sirens. I'm like, okay. Yeah, yeah. that was weird, wasn't it? So whatever it was happened all at once. Um, like I was saying, um, the, the casinos now, you know, give the impression of being like a, kind of like an aircraft carrier, you know, like, like they're, they're, they're like their own little mini city, each casino. And then admit, and it's amazing to me how smoothly they look like they're running. I mean, there's got to be a lot going on behind the scenes, right? Well, you know, you're right about that. They're, they're really like a, like a fancy cruise ship, you know, mm-hmm. they have something for everybody. But I want you to think about this for a second. A classic hotel 
like the Dunes Hotel, they didn't have computers like we have today. Mm -hmm. They didn't have smartphones. They didn't have Apple Watches. Mm -hmm. They didn't have texting. They didn't have messaging. You know what they did? They had they had smarts. They had a pencil and a piece of paper. They knew how to buddy up to a customer and get to know him and get to like him and make him like them. They weren't executives that would go and hide in the executive offices with signs that say no entrance. Mm-hmm. They were guys that were guys that encouraged players to come and play at that hotel. They, they all had a list of customers. They didn't have hosts to speak of. They had a, they did have a couple of hosts, but not like today where they have many, many casino hosts. The, the owners were the hosts. The owners were the, were the invitees. They'd invite you up, and you know what? People loved it. They were infatuated by it, infatuated by a guy, you know, that was a former bookmaker who knew sports, who knew boxing, you know, who could relate to them. And, you know, those are the guys that were the, the best players. Mm-hmm. You know, the slot business is, was, was good, and it, it, it is quite uh, can produce a lot of the revenue of the casino, more than 50% some of today's casinos. But in the old days... Uh, the big, the big money earners were the games. Mm-hmm. The slots were like a a back room attraction, which is not good. I mean, don't get me right; that was wrong. But they made more money with a live games because they had so much currency going by. And you know, some of the hotels uh, got a very bad rap for skimming. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, skimming money off the top and putting it in their pocket, not reporting it. You know, and several of them were the key uh, key violators. But people don't think about hotels like the Sahara, uh, the Mint, you know, uh, I'm not going to say the Flamingo, but the, right. uh, the Hacienda. Uh, you know, they assume they didn't skim. Well, I guarantee you they skimmed. Uh, the Sahara never got any heat. They, they skimmed. They all skimmed. Mm-hmm. But they never got any heat from it. They, they, Lansky, Meyer Lansky, one of the, uh, they called the mob's accountant. Sure. And Bugsy Siegel and so forth and so forth, uh, you know, were basically, you know, they brought the heat on themselves. And, uh, but Meyer Lansky and, and one of the big mob guys were, were owners of Caesar's Palace. Mm-hmm. And one, the hidden owners that was. But one guy by the name of Fat Tony Salerno was one of the biggest, according to the FBI, stockholders of Caesar's Palace. Now, that's the old company, not the present company. Right. But they opened in '66, so you know. Just for instance, when I was I was going I was telling the story, and I think we got interrupted somehow. But uh, I had a guy working for me when I was at Bourbon Street. He was my on the floor, eye in the sky. In other words, he would go to go to the games and play the live games that I operated uh, and act like a customer. But he was really a guy working for me. He'd observe the dealer, the box man, and the shift manager, and so forth. So we'd meet, you know, once a week. And it's one night we met, and we're, we're talking about the games. And he says, yeah, when I was at Caesars Palace, he was an eye in the sky at Caesars. Mm-hmm. He says, one afternoon, the Baccarat game, uh, a Phil came, a Phil slip came, uh, which means they're bringing chips to the table. Now, when, when a Phil slip comes to the table, it's supposed to have whatever's on the Phil slip and, in currency or, or chips, mm-hmm. and it goes on the table. The dealer signs it, goes in a box, and that's that. He said he saw a fill slip of 300000 come to the table with no chips. 
So as the eye in the sky, he, he note, notates that and puts it on his list. And he said about 20 minutes later, another one comes for 300000 So right there in less than a half an hour, they, they skimmed $600,000. Oh. You, you can imagine, and that's in the 1960s. You can imagine the money that is what it represented today. But I mean, you know, I'm not saying everybody did that, right? And and I'm not and I'm not blowing my whistle on who did it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it was a matter of fact. It did happen. I could live off that. Yeah, I guess you could. <laughs> that lasts me until twenty years, boy. That's incredible. You know, these stories have been incredible. I've really enjoyed talking to you tonight. Well, thank you. I really have, and I can't wait to read the, you know, to, to, to get to get a copy of this book and read it. I mean, I'm just like, I, like I said on during the break, I'm so fascinated by the casinos. I just, it's just like if you go to Vegas, guys, you know, you don't spend a couple days; you want to spend a week. Well, and if you do, you do want to go to the Mob Museum when you go here. There's a lot yeah. of stuff there, and there's a lot of other stuff to see here in Vegas. It's not just gambling; there's other things to see. But uh, you know, uh, I have a lot of footnotes in this book and a mm-hmm. lot of stories. And I got a great index, so you can look names up and then follow out what they did. And I got some documents that no one's ever seen, and uh, some stories that'll that it'll, it'll it'll make someone an interesting couple of days of a read. Awesome. And, uh, yeah. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I really, like I said, I really appreciate it. And at some point, I'd like to get you on again to talk more about this. I could talk for hours about this stuff. Anytime you want to. Maybe after you get the book. Okay. And, uh, and don't forget, the folks, if you want to get on my website mail list, and I don't give that away to anyone, no one, under any circumstances. So help me. Uh, it's Gino, G-E-N-O-M-U-N-A-R-I.com. GinoMunari.com. Love to have you as a subscriber. It doesn't cost you anything, but when something new comes out about the book or a fact, we're going to have a link to a timeline that has all the stories that I found in footnotes that were published all available to you so you can read and and really get the facts the book can only hold so much information by the way it's over 500 pages wow oh cool yeah it's good right on all right gino thank you so much and have a good rest of the evening you too charlotte all right really like i said i really appreciate it thank you so much welcome have a good one Okay, guys, we learned a lot about the casinos and and, and and what goes on in them. I mean, wow, I gotta get him on again because that was fantastic. And I I don't know what the whole thing with the air raid siren was with his end, but that was crazy because see you can see my my internet just blinked on and off again. So something's going on on the worldwide internet thing. So there must be bad weather somewhere because I noticed even the quality on my camera. I usually um I I got it. Excuse me for itching. I usually have it on real good quality, and I noticed there were like wavy lines coming up the video while while we were doing the show, and then a little bit after that is when everything went. You know. Anyway, thank you guys for coming. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you didn't like the show, share it with share it with five of your enemies. We are equal opportunity here because we're trying to get the word out about this show, and you guys are doing really good. Every day when I go to the YouTube site, there's more and more subscribers, and I'm real excited about that. Things are starting to take off. It's taken a year to get rolling, but because of your help out there, you're helping us do this. Um, again, YouTube's hard to find. Okay, you can Google us, you can do all this stuff, you're not going to find us unless you're already subscribed. Best way to do that is you go, go to the radio website at www.californiahauntsradio.com 
and right yeah and um I, this video will be up there a lot, you know, on the, because that, um, I, I run them live as, as we're doing the show on the, on the website. So you click on that, that'll take you to YouTube, you can subscribe to our videos. You can also go up in the archives on the radio website, and you can look at everything we've done for the past two years, which is kind of cool, right? You know? And uh, just to give you some insight, too, with this show, is this show's been on, off and on, for like 14, 15 years. Uh, we started out on Blog Talk Radio, and... Um, yeah, we started out looking at this message somebody sent me. I can't, I can't walk and chew gum at the same time with this stuff. Uh, we started on a blog talk radio like 14, 15 years ago. And um, as my mom and dad got sick and stuff, I couldn't do the show. And then I decided to bring it back um, about a year ago, September. And we've been on ever since. And we went to this format. So, you know, this, but this will go out as video and podcast, so it's kind of cool. But anyway, like I said, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you didn't like the show, share it with five of your enemies. And, I, and if you get to, if you can find it in your heart to subscribe to my YouTube, that 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 would be great. And again, you can go to our website www.californiahauntsradio.com. Click on a video on there that'll take you over to the YouTube site, and you can find the videos and stuff there and subscribe. Um, we're also nonprofit, paranormal groups nonprofit. So all this stuff comes out of my pocket. You know, internet, cameras, mics, all this good stuff, all comes out of my pocket. And if you can find it in your heart to donate a little bit to us at paypal.me at California Haunts, I'd appreciate it because, like I said, I want to keep bringing people like Gino and, and some of our other guests to you guys, you know, and, and real good quality shows. Because I, I think a lot of these shows are really good quality and, and different topics and whatnot. So if you could help me out doing that as well. Tomorrow night, Gordon Melton at 6.30 is going to be talking about vampires, same time that we're usually on. And uh, I heard him on another show as well, and he was an excellent guest talking about the history of vampires. And they're not whole like the Twilight ones, okay? I'm going to give that, I'm going to say that. Anyway, I want to thank you guys for coming. I'm going to tease up Gino's stuff so you can find his book and visit his website. So here we go. You can find his website at ginomunari, G-E-N-O-M-U-N-A-R-I.com. And his book about the dunes, you can get that at Amazon. And like he says, he's got another book coming out that you're going to be able to get at Amazon, too, to read. Anyway, thank you guys for coming, and I will see you here tomorrow. Same time, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Hope you have a good evening. Bye-bye.